Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by French composer Thomas Brunet for Chance of Sonar, a puzzle game where you're basically learning how to translate languages as you progress. It's a genre called Knowledgevania. There's uh, the music for Chance of Sonar is absolutely gorgeous. I love this soundtrack so much. It includes a lot of soloists like flutes, clarinets. There's a singer and uh, so many more great performances. And originally, uh, Thomas studied French literature and taught for many years. That was before he, I mean, he was always a musician, but what he studied and focused on was French literature. So we discussed that a bit toward the end. Um, He's also a gamer, so we talk about how he spent his gaming time in 2023. And actually, now he's going back to teaching. He's creating a master's program for music and sound design in Bordeaux. So he talks a little bit about that, too. All right, join us on Discord. That link down in the show notes. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll find my conversation with Thomas there as well. All right, here's Thomas describing Chance of Sonar. So, Chance of Sonar is a puzzle game, which has a linguistics aspect to it, which means you will get to translate different languages. And I have seen several times now the um, kind of new term that has been around for a bit, but mm, not really in the mainstream. Um, medias and it's they call it knowledgevania the genre of games like outer wilds return of the Obradin, heaven's fault uh we've been compared to these games a lot and you know with good reason because the the inspirations are uh for everyone to see and knowledgevania basically means that your progression is only um blocked by the amount of knowledge that you have um so in this game, what that means is you appear in a kind of huge tower, uh, not unlike the Tower of Babel, 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 I don't know. Babel, to yeah. Pronounce that. Oh, that's okay, Babel. Um, and you understand nothing and you have no clue what's happening to you. You have no clue what uh, all the NPCs or the non-playable characters are telling you. And so you have to, using context clues and using maybe the behaviors of other characters, you have to understand um, little words here and there. Kind of like when you travel to a foreign country and you see the signs and they're like, what, I, I don't understand anything. But after a while, you get accustomed to, okay, so this might mean, uh, I don't know, toilets. This might mean, uh, you know, and... This game works in a very similar way and by design. So you're very much confused when you arrive here and it's kind of does a good job in, in, um, you know, easing you into it by, uh, teaching you how the game, uh, wants to be played in a way. And so doing the translations and all the more traditional puzzle solving, which we'll talk about later. The, um, the game gives you a journal 
And in this journal, you'll uh, be able to input manually your hypotheses regarding the meaning of symbols or glyphs, because these languages are not text-based like, like we understand it usually. It's They're called logographic languages, which means they're based on symbols or glyphs. And these glyphs each mean, uh, each can be translated into one word. At least in French, it works like that because there has been translations of the game uh, in many other languages. So I, I don't know about this. But um, in, in French or in English, uh, one glyph uh, means one word. And so the game doesn't really analyze at all your hypothesis. So you can write basically what you want. You don't need to have the right spelling. You don't even need to have the right, uh, the actual exact word, because when the time comes later to validate your translations, what happens is you'll have to associate one glyph with a drawing in the journal. So if you have the general idea, your brain will make the uh, connection between the drawing and the uh, symbol. So that's the main mechanic of the journal. And then if you have longer sentences, maybe uh, related to uh, something important, like another puzzle, uh, your character will uh, write it down in the journal so you can jog your memory and draw a little bit of the context in which you uh, have seen these words. mechanic and then of course you have different people in this uh, tower which you have to explore and each level has its own um, culture its own architecture and obviously its own music mm -hmm. and so um, these peoples kind of live in isolation from each other and you'll have to discover why and um, by doing so, you also understand the way each of them think about the world and about each other. And um, once you've grown accustomed to the way the game works, you'll have to basically progress using only your own skill as a player, like deduction, memory, observation skills. Uh, there's no health bar, there's no fighting, there's no... Um, inventory to speak of, um, not in the traditional sense, like, oh, I picked up a new weapon, I'm more powerful till the end <laughs> of the game. Yeah, which is which is pretty fun. But not not, not in this case. Um, and that's also a, a characteristic of this uh, newly branded uh, knowledge vania genre is that you don't have any skill tree in game, but the skills you're using are your own as a player. And it seems to make players a lot more involved in this process than in other types of games. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, yeah, that wraps yeah. it up. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned there's different castes. I think they're called in the game, right? Different different uh, groups or tribes or castes. Um, and uh, are there, because I haven't played it, but I, of course, l- watched a lot of it, um, mm-hmm. but not enough to know if there are four or five different ones. Are there four or five? Or is that a uh, spoiler? There are five. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's usually if you've watched the trailer or if you've played uh, just a little bit or, you know, it's... I guess it could be a mild spoiler, so okay, beware. But it's not it's not one of the big um, reveals, you know. You, we already know there's several people. Let's say that. So yes, yes, we can we can end there. I have my own theories because I do know what happens at the end. So, but when we don't, obviously, we won't be discussing that in any great detail. Um, but. So, needless to say, there are at least four different <laughs> casts that you have written music for, and uh, yes. they each, as you said, have a different floor or different level in this Tower mm-hmm. of, of Babel. I realized I was muted when I was affirming you said it right, Babel. Um, uh, or not right, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So, so um, and the music is great because it's it's live instruments and and um i don't know if you knew a throat singer personally maybe some samples but uh but tell me tell me about kind of coming up with the sounds that you did use because there's a little bit of everything which is wonderful but then there's also just a beautiful list of you know people who played violin cello uh oboe english horn or cor anglais flutes, clarinets, and the singer. So uh, so tell me about coming up with, with that sound. Um, so the, the main idea behind um, building these cultures, because the music is linked to each culture in the game, um, is that you we, we needed something to affirm what you can already see if you observe like the visuals of the game is that these peoples are here for uh, have been here for a very long time and we needed to not only use ancient instruments like uh, you know lyres lots of uh, strings winds a little bit of percussions and this is like the the, the first layer of it is the, the first thing like pop into my head was, okay, we will need uh, ancient instruments, so probably samples, and actually a lot of the the oldest instruments in the score are samples. Um, And then I knew that all the thematic material would need, um, you know, professional musicians, because uh, there is no way you can do a score like this for such an uh intimate like human sized you know almost poetic experience without having a human sound and um at first i didn't really know exactly what uh instruments i was gonna record live i knew i wanted to cello mm-hmm. because it's such an expressive instrument to me mm-hmm. and then the oboe also uh, arrived pretty uh, early some parts were um better played on the english horn which um isabel deba our oboe player is uh very sp- 
specialized in English horn, actually. She's a principal English horn in the National Bordeaux Orchestra, which oh, wow. is kind of a rare spot, I think. Yeah. Um, not not all orchestras have a principal English horn player. Yeah. Um, and she's obviously totally amazing with both instruments. Um, so these were the uh, first two instruments that came to my mind when it uh, came to, you know, giving the score a human-sized sensibility to it. I knew it was going to be uh, heavily melodic because um, I wanted to use um, what I learned when studying traditional music from different regions of the world. So I studied Brazilian music, African music, and music from the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and of all sorts of uh, different places were explored there. You mentioned throat singing. Uh, this is also sampled. And um, so the, the traditional like popular music is almost only about either dancing or uh, melody. So it had to be, in my mind, it had to be heavily melodic. And I think the, the game works quite well with uh, this kind of stuff. some uh, bits and pieces of more uh, sound designy, atmospheric um, music, mostly towards the end of the game with, you know, synth pads and stuff like that. Um, and uh, obviously, flutes came also right after because uh, that's one of the oldest instruments you can imagine, probably, you know? Yeah. Um, and vocals was actually a um, later addition because the studio wanted um, vocal performance on uh, kind of like the main theme of the game, which is uh, the one you hear at the end, the very end. Okay. And I hired Carla Fernandez to sing on it, and she did a beautiful job. Yeah. Um, and I... I enjoyed writing additional music for her and uh, I kind of like managed to use some of this session time to uh, also record two other tracks with her. And obviously I was inspired by the all the work surrounding the architecture, you know, the, the yeah. visuals of the game are usually patchworks, like mixing influences say from india and uh the uh eastern europe or maybe medieval western europe and all these influences also stayed in the back of my mind although one of the most important challenges was we didn't want any of these soundscapes to be 
directly identifiable as okay these people are the vikings let's say or these yeah. people are our you know our fictional um spanish i don't know and it, it really needed to stay in the fictional because the all the allegory works uh, a lot better like that um and yeah I try to leverage all the different traditions I knew about, and then I discovered some more in the process. It was really, really um, amazing working with Randisk, which uh, are based in Toulouse, which you mentioned earlier. Okay, okay. Um, so we did all of this uh, remotely, and okay. I think I met them maybe three times. Oh, wow. Um, so the game, the Development started in 2020, March of 2020. Oh, wow. That. So, <laughs> best time ever yep. to wow. launch yourself into a new adventure. <laughs> um, oh, but, but I was hired way later than that. I started working with them in April 22. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, during, how did that happen? Uh, how did you get connected? Well, I'm um, I'm a bit hesitant with this story because it seems like it never happens like this, and it <laughs> happened to me. What happened was they found me on Twitter, and then at the right moment, because obviously they found me because they were looking for a uh, game composer, which ticked all the boxes, meaning, you know, um, several, like a background in, in traditional music, like world music, I guess you would say. I don't know that that applies to me, but, you know. Um, yeah. Music, like local music and traditionally played. And then a little bit of uh, synth work and also, you know, very acoustic-based music because... That's what the game needed. So, you know, it's a, a right place at the right time kind of thing. But um, they found me, they listened to music I had online, and they contacted me. And um, I sent them two demos, um, sprinkled, like like sample instruments sprinkled with recordings I make uh, in my home studio. And then they were hooked, and we started working together almost immediately which was awesome and i i feel you know it's not that i didn't work towards this but sometimes it feels very random and very uh, dependent on luck you know all these affairs with how do you and and everyone asks me how i came into this business and there's a lot of desire from people to know about it and to know how do you get into and it's the same in, in the entertainment business and the, the film industry and everything there's a whole um, bunch of questions around this and my story feels like okay this this happened almost like magic and and probably don't count on this happening again but uh honestly i think what what um What's the saying is uh, preparation meets opportunity or something like that. Yeah. 
<laughs> I guess that's the the takeaway from this is that you can't control when it's going to happen, but you you can prepare yourself and learn all the different skills, maybe skills unrelated to music <laughs> that you would need if such an opportunity arises that you can grab it and just uh, roll with it instantly. kind of exceptional i i don't think i've heard this as often you know <laughs> it's, as it's uh, for example you know i i had this friend who was making a film and called me because he knew i was making music that that's more like the the usual yeah narrative around you know how did you uh, make it into the industry but mm -hmm. you know i was i was just uh trying to control my social media presence, trying to see which ones were the best ratio of efforts versus results, you know, in terms of, of connections, because being in France and being in the Southwest, you know, connections are tricky to, mm -hmm. to establish. But then once, once you have one foot in the door, it's, it gets easier and easier. Yeah. But I started with smaller projects, yes. And this one came because I already had um, yeah. some tracks online. And that's that's yeah. the story of this. <laughs> you mentioned uh, that you studied a bunch of different world musics. Um, it Was that independently or when you were in university? Did you, did you do that? Um, I didn't study music at all in university. Oh, I no did kidding. Go, I did go to what we call conservatoire. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so they're like like superior music schools. Yeah. And never finished it. Okay. But uh, I went to uni to study French literature and language, which is kind of ironic now. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, you know it's it's kind of joining my my two biggest chunks of life because uh, yeah. I studied this for a long time and I, I was a teacher of French literature and language for seven, seven years. Oh, wow. Um, all the while, you know, playing music and the, my background is that I'm a uh, percussionist and I started, um, as a percussionist in, um, orchestras. Well, I should say in, in wind ensembles, probably because, you know, apart from woodwinds, brass and percussions, there, there didn't seem to be a, a lot of string players. I don't know why, uh, yeah. when I was, uh, studying music, at least in my area. So anyway, yeah. um, and I, I studied, um, world music more independently, but also with a, a kind of mentor. I um, enlisted into this uh, um, Brazilian percussion ensemble and 
after a few months, I also uh, was able to conduct it. And then I was, you know, learning all the parts and learning how this, you know, it's it's the music uh, to accompany singing or to make people dance. And then my uh, mentor in this who taught me uh, how to, you know, conduct percussions because it's not it's not uh, remotely as complex as the uh, orchestra conducting, but still, he he's also a, a singer and a composer and. He brought a lot of his love to traditional music over to me, and then I uh, studied on my own. I mean, the world of Brazilian percussion is a—that's a rich world. There's so many instruments and oh yes, and styles, right? Rhythms and styles, almost like um, raga in India, right? Just like it's almost yeah. that. Yeah, I yeah, love, yeah, definitely. I love it. Yeah. I mean, that all Latin America, what I did, what I mean, this has been so long ago now in the 90s when I was an undergrad, I was in an Afro-Cuban ensemble. And I just mm-hmm. loved that because half of the ensemble was percussionists. You know, there were like 10 of us and five of them yeah. were, were percussionists, which is just such a such a lovely, it's just what a great world of of music. I, I loved that. And similarly, Brazilian music has quite a quite a spread doesn't it do you yeah, have some have favorite for... f- from favorite instruments you'd want to mention quickly for that might be uh you know something that folks aren't very familiar with well usually what um people coming into these ensembles want to play instantly are the sordos because they're this huge um drums that have a pretty uniquely uh bottom heavy round sound and you get to you know play them very very uh, be very demonstrative and <clears throat> they they're the backbone of the ensemble and then um you have the kaisha which is kind of a snare drum but a little bit smaller and with different um how do you call the i guess it's the the snare, like the metal part yep, that the snare. Does the, mm-hmm. Ah, it's called a snare. Yeah. <laughs> so it's sometimes it's different materials and it has a very um, dirty sound, for lack of a better word. Like very, mm-hmm. um, it's not it's not a very dry sound. And when you have ten of them, you you definitely feel the the momentum. Yeah. Because yeah. they never stop playing, right? Yep. So yeah, that, it's it's a different beast from um, uh, marching bands, like more, um, mm-hmm. you know, traditional marching bands. And I love it. And you know, we also played rhythms from different parts, not only from Brazil, which was kind of our our uh, little quirk. <laughs> and you know, we played rhythms from La Réunion, which is this uh, island in the Indian Ocean has this very peculiar 6-8 swing feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very hard to describe, especially with my uh, English right now. <laughs> but it's, it's uh, yeah, it was always somewhere in the back of my head for the last 10 years. And uh, wow. I think in, in, 
it got out in the score to Chance of Center and uh, one of the tracks. I used this. Um, so it, it's like a triplet, but um, with a weird swing feel to it. And the accent, instead of being on the first note, is on the second. Okay. And you get this very intricate balance between the low instruments playing the strong beats and then all the other instrument basically accenting the the beat right after it and it's, it's you know something that's always been uh, i'm very fond of this which uh, track was silent. that thomas uh, the one called envers which is the one playing in the sewers in level three that's one and... of my favorite tracks yeah <laughs> I love that track. Thank guitar in there was that you on guitar was that a sample no 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 it's uh, my friend Johan Ugne who also helped me with the orchestration oh and cool we were, okay yeah yeah, yeah. we were uh, in the studio and there was no time to just do it uh, there were some complications and I just phoned him and, and asked him if he could just you know uh, live track it from his home studio we were kind of in a, the rush of things so yeah. that's the 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 only part that doesn't come from the studio du bassin in uh, Arcachon yeah oh yeah like I outsourcing love... yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah I, I I would have played guitars and and the uh, busuki and stuff but uh, you know we we really had a, I want to say a tight budget and it was Although, you know, compared to other indie productions, we um, having a publisher and all, we, we were, you know, we don't have to complain, but, yeah, yeah. you know, there were, there's some things I, I wish I could have recorded, but then sure. when, when the results came in, like the reviews on Steam and the, the various um, comments and analysis and stuff, I was like, hmm. Okay, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if, if, if people like it, who am I to, right. you know? If we could talk more about, um, did you say it was Anver? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, I I really enjoyed this track. Uh, well, I could say that about every single one for real. Um, but you know, this one starts with the cello, and it's so beautiful. And then I love it when he goes to pizzicato, and like this kind of mm -hmm. for for a while, he's like doing this whole pizzicato thing, which is fantastic. Um, and then the flute comes in. Uh, eventually with a really great, 
I, I don't know if you would call it the counter melody or the melody or, or just a motif or, or how you thought of it, but I, I love the pattern that the flute plays over, over top of all of that. So tell, tell us more about that track, if you would. It, it's really, really great. Oh, thank you for asking. Um, I, I also really love this track. The, um, so the, the motive on the flute is also, I think it's played uh, at three different um, octaves or maybe three different instruments. Can't remember now. It's all a blur. But there, I there's some um, bagpipe in there, and they all are playing. Yes, counter melodies would be the the word, I guess. And sometimes a little bit um, shifted rhythmically. And that's that's one of the ways I wanted to make the score coherent was to use. Um, it's not a it's it's not a canon, but you know the, the little offsetting uh, rhythmic rhythmically all the the counter melodies so that you kind of like a, a child babbling, you know. Uh, it's like these instruments want to play in unison but kind of don't manage yet. And this is how you know I thought about this game where all these people try to. Or or don't, but the, they they can't communicate between one another because they don't understand each other. And so, flutes and uh, bagpipes in this example are the ones that are trying to uh, start this dialogue. And the context of this track is also um, peculiar because. I'm trying not to spoil anything there, but uh, the, there's, um, let's say, trouble is brewing uh, <laughs> when you when you hear this. Um, not necessarily trouble. You're not in trouble at that point, but you you have this huge labyrinth of sewers to go through, and I've seen people making maps of it, <laughs> pen and paper. Nice. That was amazing, and so the track is pretty pretty long. And accompanies you through the, the the sometimes frustrating experience of finding your way through this maze. And I've said trouble is brewing because you can see um, some people on this level have it better than others. And you, as you progress, you'll understand a little bit more of the friction between peoples and why uh, these frictions appear. And so um, one of these groups is kind of unhappy about its fate and wants to want things to change. And there's, uh, you know, revolt is in the air. Um, and this is the track where I, I've used this uh, rhythm from uh, La Réunion, which I talked about, because um turns out this um, rhythm I learned while um, learning one style called the Maloya, which is the, the style of music they play and dance to, and also sing, obviously, uh, in La Réunion. And at some point, of course, this was a um, uh, French colony, and the the French government kind of prohibited this kind of music. 
for uh, there's political reasons. And I don't think there's a, a actual law stating you can't play uh, Maloya, but certainly people were getting into trouble and playing them in, in underground locations and, you know, hiding. And so it be it became this symbol of resistance to to the French government. And it, it inspired me to, you know, kind of this little cultural um, I don't know, element of, of uh, history. to instill in this and then there's also the didgeridoo which is uh, here to you know cover the low end of things and it, it's a pretty energetic track for basically you stumbling your way through a maze <laughs> so what the game is saying indirectly the music is very direct about you know that, that there's some suffering and some violence in there in this world as well as beauty and you know you, can, you spend a lot of time marveling at uh, the visuals, the crazy landscapes, very beautiful uh, work from Julien Moya. And at some point you see past the, the beauty of this and the way some people live uh, at the detriment of others. It's, it's a pretty profound um, experience and it tells you a lot about the world we live in, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, loved loved it, loved it. Um, the very first track on the uh, soundtrack, which I did not write down. Oh, Out of the Cavern and Into the Light. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Um, you mentioned, you know, many, many minutes ago now about, you know, flute being one of the oldest instruments that we can think of, right? Beyond percussion. Um, yeah, or maybe vocals. Or the voice, well, right? Or, yeah, or the yeah, voice. Um, but certainly one of the oldest, probably the oldest reed or wind instrument. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and I think a lot, I, I, when I was younger, I, I, I was not really a fan of flute. Um, and, you know, when you look back on life, you're like, yeah, maybe that was more about the flute players because I love flute. <laughs> you know, you just kind of reflect on things differently as you get older and uh, mm -hmm. because I do love flute sure. and I love it very much. And um, and when it comes in in that first track, there is something so familiar to it when when I heard it. You know, it was um, it was one of the more profound flute entries that I've experienced in, in life just wow. because, yeah, it was really, it was really interesting it, it, um, uh, of an experience. And uh, I just, I really appreciate that because it happens sometime about a minute in or something like that. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've already set up a, a really interesting soundscape there's i think deduke in the beginning there or something as yes. well and um Indeed, yeah 
And so you're, and, and this is what I, my point that I promise I'm getting to is how you talked about also earlier, not, not going into, um, you know, musical expectations of, well, this, these are the Vikings. These are the, this is the Middle Eastern culture. This is the American culture. This is the, you know, and Mm -hmm. blending these things because you really don't hear a lot of solo deduke in this very intimate pared down texture that you have, you know, then with flute coming in as well, you know? So I just, I really think that that's one of the reasons it struck me so much is because of the um, contrast, right? Because flute is very much a Western instrument. Well, I mean, obviously that kind of flute is very much yeah, yeah, yeah. a Western instrument. It, it uh, is a modern flute when you when you record it live, because otherwise tuning problems are. Of course, of course, <laughs> yeah. And so, but just to pair that with the deduke, I just thought I, I I just hypothesized that maybe that's what struck me so much. I'm not really sure, but I really mm-hmm. liked it. So, uh, well Thank done you. on combining these these sounds, you know. There's a, 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 I guess, shyness to using the duduk after, you know, Gladiator. And and, uh, (laughs) I remember one where, uh, a movie where Goldsmith also used it. Um, Was it the Russia House? I'm not sure. I don't know. Duduk has been around for a long time in film scores. Oh, yeah. Yeah. it, it, It also... I was tempted to use it even more. Then um, I decided against it because mm, mm. there were there were. I thought there were more interesting things to do mm. with it, as well as you know, I started playing with the idea of light motifs, um, like character motifs, and maybe a uh, some kind of instrument that would maybe symbolize the, the playable character, this kind of uh, uh, devices. And then it struck me as not very, very interesting in itself. And then I, I reflected that this, this game was not about you putting yourself in the shoe of someone else as much as it was you yourself putting your own personality and your own skills into this world. So the, the character is kind of a, like a ghost vessel. It's it's not very important. Of course, it's important to the story what your character is and who he is or she, but it, it, it didn't really uh, strike me as useful to say, okay, I want to um, give him a musical voice. Like, you know, it's, it works in Peter and the Wolf, but it, it doesn't really work, <laughs> in my opinion, to that to that uh, in that context. And I actually decided to use 
flutes whenever I wanted to convey this feeling of this very peculiar feeling of loneliness you get when you're actually in a crowd, but you have no clue what's going on and what they are trying to say because you you obviously people are, are trying to communicate to you and nothing happens here. <laughs> and it's it's a very very peculiar feeling. Also combine this kind of melancholy feeling with the beauty of this world and you get a very mixed bag of I'm totally lost, but this is so pretty. And um, so there's, uh, to me, there's something about the sound of a flute, like a simple flute, maybe an alto flute um, or a wooden flute. I have played several on the demos for this game. Actually, most of the flute um, tracks I've played beforehand on with my very limited skills on uh, <laughs> different, you know, traditional flutes I collect from my uh, travels. I have a uh, 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 very nice, nice Romanian peasant flute nice. here. Oh, and yes. you see, there is no mouthpiece actually right? to this one. This is the kind of flute I, I try to play uh, to the best of my limited yeah. ability, but then I know what I what if I a mediocre flute player can do it. I know in the hands of uh, an experienced flute player this is going to sound really good because it's it's idiomatic, you know, it's written for the flute. Mm -hmm. So uh anyway, the 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 sound of a flute like a, a wooden flute or even an alto flute or any kind of flute mm -hmm. makes me kind of uh, uh, I made a parallel between this sound, what what it made me feel, and the the this combination of you know marveling and also uh, feeling completely lost. There's something about a flute that can be very melancholic to me. Yeah. Um, and also very very cheerful at times. Mm -hmm. So every instrument I tried to uh, also write in a way that they can express all the different sides of their instruments and maybe have fun doing it. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess that's also part of the job to make sure they don't, you know, they, they can actually breathe and, and play what's on the page, mm -hmm. but not only what's on the page and also give it their own kind of breathe their own life into it. I want to give some uh, love and respect to the clarinet too, the clarinetist, um, because there's just some beautiful, you know, quote unquote, normal B flat clarinet, but then there's also gorgeous bass clarinet and whatever other clarinets you maybe had, uh, had. Just the two. 
Okay. Yeah. Just loved it. Loved it all. Um, especially Temple of Knowledge is a really good example. The clarinet comes in and Carla is in that track too. And um, tell yeah. us about that track, Temple of Knowledge, without Temple of Knowledge, possible. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's obviously the, the title kind of, you know, orients the, the nature of the, the location where it's played. But um, yeah, so it starts with this uh, solo B-flat clarinet, lovely playing by Johan Hugnet. Also, uh, same, very same one, uh, which I mentioned about uh, orchestrating and uh, playing the guitar on that. Okay. Very multifaceted in instrument player. Although, uh, you know, the, all the other ones were also very versatile and, and I have nothing but good things to say about the musicians. Yeah. So yeah, he, he played uh, the B-flat clarinet and then I wrote lyrics for Carla. And we really wanted to stick to fictional uh, world building and fictional languages. So at first I, I submitted the idea, what about writing songs in French? After all, you know, we're all, it's a 100% French production. <laughs> and, you know, the, it wasn't such a good idea. I recognize it now. But at the time, I was like, ah, yeah, why not? And they said, you know, we really think it should be um, non-recognizable. It should be, you know, just syllables. So I wrote um, something I thought would sound good. And of course, Carla gave her own interpretation of this, these random syllables. Um, and we, one of the best experience I have ever witnessed was ex experimenting in the studio with uh, musicians. Mm. And at this level, you know, they, they look at the page, they see your intent written down and they understand the music before they hear it and before they play it. And then I can't even count the number of first takes that are on the final score. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but there were also times where we were just experimenting with all the possibilities of their instruments or her voice mm -hmm. in the case of Carla and she, she can do, she can do it all. <laughs> She sings uh, um, Southern American uh, music. She sings jazz. She also teaches jazz uh, oh, wow. singing. And in that case, we experimented with her, with the different timbres and maybe, you know, adding air here and there, adding fragility to her voice sometimes allowed us to get to the very nitty gritty of what makes something human and, and what makes it resonate in, in your inside, you know, somewhere yeah. around yeah. here. It, it's, there's something about the human voice, uh, unlike any other instruments that really grabs your attention and gets your heart. I think we were trying to generate at least a fraction of this. Yeah. effect mm -hmm. and yeah the, the best moments were experimenting we didn't have a lot of time for that 
unfortunately but um you know i just i just uh wish the next time will be um a little bit more of that yeah let's say yeah like i i enjoy writing a lot obviously but then it's it's a totally different thing when you give your music to someone who has a different background who is an expert in their instruments and they can make it sound in a million different ways you haven't really imagined so sure. it's still what's written on the page and what people find usually very surprising and i tell them yeah that, that's why we have so many different recordings of classical pieces because not and there is no two conductor there's no two orchestras that play the same and so it's but the page the page is the page yeah and what what's what changes is what you play almost how you play between the notes and you know i i've listened to quite a, a number of your episodes oh. after you uh contacted me and i discovered your podcast and i think uh i don't remember which if, if it was gareth goker saying something really struck me about how orchestras can play very fast and challenging passages uh, especially film score orchestras but then uh also if you give them a whole note the way they can play this whole note is you know you would you would never imagine a whole note could be as rich and as uh, enchanting mm -hmm. and that's kind of the 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 i tended towards simplicity not only because of budget or because of my own limitations as a composer but also because i think just like this game is based on everything that's not necessarily said uh the the music is also about what's um what's between the notes and what's uh what does it say about um how we think about art how we perform art it's a very introspective game, actually, so... is very intimate all of the things um i do want to switch gears just for a moment before we um okay. yeah go back to to music so i don't want to give you whiplash but um but i am very curious about your passion for french literature and uh you know if there was just a handful of of french well first of all what uh, what era of French literature are you most passionate about? Or is it, uh, yeah, tell me. I, I um, mostly studied modern literature, which means starting basically in the 16th, 17th century onwards. Um, you know, further than that, I still studied Latin and ancient French, but not, not really as uh, deeply. Mm -hmm. that's that's a whole different 
discipline in in university. Yeah. So I I I've always been kind of a, a avid reader, although nowadays it's it's hard to find the time and uh, you know just like playing games is uh, becoming. A rare commodity <laughs> in my schedule, um, but yeah, I, I have this. I mean, the, the studying it was uh, a joy, and then teaching was another beast entirely. But um, yes, I, I'm still fond of uh, writers uh, like. To put it simply, like Victor Hugo, uh, he's basically the most well-known French writer of all time, mm -hmm. and you can still you can still read his books and think, well, he was right, and he still is. <laughs> um, so that that's the magic about um, this kind of works that I I really like to communicate to my students. And I think it also made me a bit more ready to score this particular game because of all the layers of meaning. <laughs> you can delve pretty deep. And it's 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 almost like a, a, a book where every player gets to be the writer at some point. <laughs> You know, because just because you can you can decide in which order you're gonna do things, mm. and you know, examples of this like Outer Wilds and um, yeah, others where basically the 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 only thing stopping you from uh, finishing the game is uh, your own knowledge and your own skills, mm -hmm. and uh, when when you, when you finally get to where you're supposed to go, you're like. Hmm, okay. I could have done this <laughs> ten hours ago <laughs> if I had known. Yeah. Which is which is why also most people uh, when they, they finish the game and they hop on Twitter to say, Oh my god, what you should play this. I wish I could forget it to play it again. Because huh. obviously the, the, the magic is not the same right. if you play it a second time. Yep. I mean of course, I guess. I guess uh, I personally would play it. I think once every two years, or just to reminisce. It's yeah. a very short game, so yeah. so it's, it's not a problem. But then, yeah, part of the experience is to go in blindly. some of the things that you really want to point out that I didn't ask you or maybe it's a favorite track that I you know that we didn't mention what what are some of those things for you I I love um first of all obviously the the soundtrack album is a uh, version of the score which is almost half of it 
Mm. There's an hour and 22 minutes, if I remember correctly, of music in the game. And the soundtrack is just shy 40 minutes. Yeah. So there were some enough, heartbreaking Thomas. choices. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a combination of factors uh, leading to this. I had to make some uh, incredibly tough choices. So some of the tracks I love dearly are not on the album, which means, uh, yeah, you'll have to play the game if you want to hear more. I'm sorry. I guess my mindset right now is I wouldn't have believed you if you told me six months ago that uh, this would be the path I would have taken. And we've discussed how events can happen, you know, seemingly unexpectedly. But then, of course, you know, you, you work towards a certain path and you'll find a way somehow. And... I guess uh, I found it now and it's really the reception of the game was incredible and still is. And just yesterday we were able to announce that the soundtrack was nominated at the Steam Awards. So wonderful players. uh, I don't know how many uh, of them have (laughs) to vote for a nomination like that to be effective, but it's really uh, starting to hit me that um, this this was indeed a good decision. <laughs> and uh, but I, I never really doubted that the game would be incredible. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can never uh, you can never know how it's going to work for other people. But what what the developers tried to do in the spare time, because uh, none of them were professionals. I think it's it's probably going to change now. I I hope uh, it's all I hope for them. Yes. Um, what they wanted to achieve was to make a game they would have loved to play, and then and then if it worked for others, uh, all the better. But I think it's uh, it's a nice thing to realize that. If you are an artist and you work towards something that resonates with you and that you really care about, I guess there is a public for uh, your work. Uh, Whether this public, there's an audience for your work, whether this audience finds it or not is a different question, but I think they had a really healthy and powerful mindset from the beginning, uh, combined with exceptional organization, all skills, organizational skills. Yes, yes. Uh, You know, it's it's a team of two people. Amazing. And I think if you 
take into account sound designer Roman Cabezot and me and Julien Moya's wife, who did the uh, drawing in the journal, and oh, wow. Laurent Ojean, who did uh, some of the visual assets. Then it's six people. And I think just the music team is bigger than this. So <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> it's it's something to realize the power of uh, of just the, the sheer willpower it took for yes. these two people to get to the end of this project because uh, it's kind of a small miracle when a game Absolutely. ships in 2023. Yes. And still manages to, you know, as an indie game where with basically no expectation because no one knew about us right. um, to achieve what they achieved, you know, being nominated at the Game Awards. It's uh, amazing. You know, very, very humbling experience. And, uh, you know, you just have to... The imposter syndrome is hitting harder than, <laughs> than it ever was. And the way I treat it, this syndrome is by working harder, <laughs> trying to <laughs> kind of deserve this, uh, you know, after the fact. Yeah. No, but we're really, really happy. And I, I don't think we, I don't think I realize yet what uh, all this means. But uh, yeah, we'll see. There are already repercussions. There have been repercussions, you say? Yes. I positive, um, I, I assume positive. Re well, yeah. <laughs> very, very positive repercussions. Um, I will uh, get to reunite with my uh, teaching um, experience, uh, but this time with uh, video game music. And um, I've been asked to coordinate and create a, a program, a master's degree for video game music and sound design in Bordeaux. Wow. Which is very, I think it's very rare in France. I think probably Paris, Angoulême, maybe a few, a few schools have them, but yeah. it's definitely not that uh, often that you get uh, these kind of programs. So I'm looking forward to it, uh, working on this and seeing what uh, what else is out there. And obviously, I would be more than happy to work with Rundisk again once they've taken a breather and, <laughs> yeah, you know, really, uh, yeah, relaxed after all of this. are well deserved and I hope that you're able to uh, move past the imposter syndrome um, oh yeah <laughs> it's very well deserved accolades and you know just thank you thank you for writing such wonderful music I feel so fortunate to get to have met you and spoken with you and 
uh, spent time with your music. It's just been a delight. So I can't wait to hear what whatever you got coming up next. And um, and yeah, so thank you for your time. Well, likewise, uh, thank you. And I'm I'm adding my voice to the many people you've interviewed <laughs> who uh, cannot say uh, enough good things about your episodes. Oh, thank and you. It, it's true that we we get to it's not often that we get to talk about some of the things we uh, mentioned. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. thank you. I think I think uh, you've made someone very happy when I realized I had 300 episodes of uh, <laughs> game music content uh, <laughs> to binge in the car in during long drives, you know, I drive a lot and Oh, do you? This was like Christmas. Oh, yeah, really? This was like Christmas to me. <laughs> I was like her, my first reaction was oh my god, there's the 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 names in there are are okay, this is the real deal. And the second reaction was but I get to first of all, how did I I not know about this? I I have no idea. But uh so I'm I'm kind of an avid podcast consumer oh nice especially if it's about games or game audio in general yeah but i'm, I'm sorry to say i i've uh, i've not discovered yours well you have now and now i'm yeah. so happy because uh, <laughs> i get to uh, spend more time with all these that's awesome uh, gigantic composers and also musicians yeah i've seen you interviewed not only composers that's really important yeah, yeah. You give them a voice and they have incredible stories of their own. Mm -hmm. It's true. So, uh, it's true. I can't wait to <laughs> get back to it. I'm so glad. Uh, I do have just a couple more questions now that I'm thinking about it. You had mentioned, and of course, we all call him Victor Hugo. I'm so sorry that <laughs> we call him that. <laughs> Don't be. <laughs> But um, he's not going to begrudge that. It's true. It's true. Um, you know, if if there, I don't want to make you say if there's one book you wish people would read. But it, you know, just give us some recommendations, if you would, for for people who haven't read any of his works. Like what what are maybe two or three or or one, if you want to go to one. You know, would you make a recommendation to us? Of course, yeah. I think Les Misérables is uh, uh, that's a good one. Very very universal story mm. and I don't I didn't study as deeply his life as I did his work but you know I don't know from what place he came because obviously he was not the uh, he was not a part of uh, the kind of people he writes about you know the the really poor people in Paris yeah but he certainly had a keen eye at least and a sense of uh, story he was he was a believer in the human being mm. and so yeah don't don't watch the movies uh, read the <laughs> right right of course yeah um, the other thing that I wanted to ask, you said you don't have a lot of time to do it anymore, but you are a gamer. So what what do you what are you playing right now when you have time to play? <laughs> I uh, I just finished Baldur's Gate three, and oh. I'm I'm so you know obviously 
I, I was hooked. Yep. Um, like many, many people, and it deserves all the praise it got. Yeah. Um, but it means that 100 hours were not devoted to other games. <laughs> um, but I've, I've, this year, I've been able to play a bit of uh, Jedi Survivor as well. Oh, okay. And for the more, um, more, uh, the smaller uh, side of things, I've started playing Chia. Oh, and yes. I am yes. I am so so happy. I've decided when we were um, nominated for the Game Awards mm -hmm. against Chia and others, uh, other yes. wonderful games. I've decided I I would cheer if Chia won, even if yes. it means that we didn't get it because such a lovely game, such a mm -hmm. such an unexplored part of our collective culture you know th this part of the world yep in video games is is pretty much unknown and then the way they did it is also mm -hmm. very much worthy of praise as well as the content yes. of the game itself the yes. way it uses all the the myths and legends over there it, it reminded me of la reunion even though you know like two oceans apart <laughs> yeah. but but it, it it resonated with me mm. through my own background and I haven't been able to finish it yet, mm. but uh, yeah. I, I can't wait to to get to this point. And obviously the music is an immense part of so wonderful. what makes this game so, so mm -hmm. it, it really captures you. Mm -hmm. We were talking about the power of uh, the human voice and the, the singing in Chia. In yes. Chia's score is yes. amazing. And yep. John Robert Matz. Mm -hmm has uh, really done well yeah. in capturing and, and, you know, respecting the, the mm -hmm. culture, I think. I, I obviously no expert, but, yeah, yeah, I, um, yeah. you know, uh, and it seems to come from a place of love and understanding and mm -hmm. using uh, local musicians. Yeah. You know, the efforts that were made mean that, uh, you know, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm not going to be sad <laughs> if Chia wins and Chia won and I'm happy oh, God. because, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's, we need more of this in a, yeah. in the world. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. And I've also started playing Stray Gods. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And this is not a game I would normally pick up, right. but, uh, if it wasn't for Austin Wintry's score, yep, yep. <laughs> I think, I think, um, he's one of the composers. I just, when I see he released something and just buy the game and play it yeah. just on on just on his name yeah. <laughs> alone. And I'm not the only one. Right. No, I know of this. course not. Yeah. Yeah. That I there's nothing I can say that hasn't been said about him, but <laughs> and of course the, the endeavor he undertook was like whew. Yeah. I think I think it's probably the biggest uh ratio of uh, music budget compared to overall game budget in history. <laughs> it would have to be. Yeah. And I, I, I hope, I really, really hope that uh, you make an episode about this with Austin Wintry. I would uh, oh, listen to this. I see. Okay. <laughs> avidly. <laughs> He's on the list. I, I had him once. on. You know, I think I, we, we talked last year. I, I'm spacing on what, but um, uh, I... Yeah, I need to. Um, oh, it's probably Alien or Aliens. 
the aliens game he did, I think, is the last mm-hmm. time we mm-hmm. chatted. But yeah, it, you're right. He's You're the first person who's confronted me about this, by the way, which I find amazing. So, <laughs> confronted you? In what way? Like, uh, that was the wrong Saying you poor, should invite him. Poor choice of words. Who who has made the recommendation, <laughs> let's say that. I. Um, what have you done with Austin? Yeah. <laughs> I should. I should. I should email him. I should. Yes, you're right. It would be amazing because I, I played it too. I played. I got a. I got a ways into it. I haven't finished it yet, but um, but yeah, that that'd be a good reason to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is one of those games you can play a million times and get a million different scores. Right. How often do we get? Right. Yeah. Kind of... It's incredible. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, Thomas. But I, I, yeah. I guess you have you have uh, a lot on your plate, so so don't feel uh, <laughs> attacked. <laughs> it's hard now because um, I've gone back full time in radio, so mm-hmm. I work you know Monday through Friday nine to five, which oh, I hadn't yeah. I hadn't been doing for a while. Uh, I was just freelancing, so I was I would say, in a way, it almost felt like I was busier, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but the job I have, I put a lot of energy into. So I, I we've gone back to every other week with this podcast, mm-hmm. which, well, the only podcast I do, um, uh, which is unfortunate, you know, because it means, like, I, I think I have you scheduled. I can tell you when you're scheduled for. And it's like ages from now. It's in 2024, which is so, oh, yeah. <laughs> so sad to me. It's... Um, well, it's only a few days away. So that's how that's been the uh, the downfall of that. Um, but you know, I mean, you you do what you yeah, need to do in life. It's but life. Um, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. it's life, and I I love that work too. So it's. But anyway, um, yeah, it just. I'm glad you haven't. Uh, I'm glad you have you you kept up with this. Oh, podcast. of course. Yeah. No. This is once once I have listened through all 300 episodes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm sure I, uh, there are some I you will, could skip. I don't know. <laughs> I would surely want more. Fair enough. Just, just like I feel when I get to the end of Chance of Sonar soundtrack, I always want more. So, touche. Thank you. Um, well, I hope we get to do this again. We will. Very, yeah, very we will. We should talk once you get your program set up. I would love to hear more about that. Oh, you know, okay. I mean, that would be fascinating. What's the timeline for that? Are they wanting you to have um, that by so next year? So inscriptions are, you know, uh, not inscriptions. How do you say re- registration? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is uh, open already. Oh wow! Um, but it's really, really fresh. Like I think uh, a few weeks. Okay. Uh, a few weeks ago, they they published it on the website, and you know, a few a few conferences and salons will be necessary to you know dip our toes in the water and see how many people are interesting. Yeah. But there, there's only so much space, and you know, it's first of all, it's not a, uh, a full time in house position. Composers are not usually right. Uh, in-house uh, sound designer uh, certainly are, but this program will aim to form very few people to you know just just so they have a chance mm-hmm. to to actually work in the industry and not be thirty people in a in a classroom and right. only two of them have hope. You know, yeah. I, 
I, we 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 are going towards uh, leaning towards this. So yeah, a blend of uh, you know music mm -hmm. and sound design, all the aspects of it. Um, we'll see. We'll see how that uh, yeah. turns out. So the the first classes will uh, be in October twenty twenty four. Oh okay. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Anytime, anytime uh, in between would be uh, great to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you again so much. I know I've said it a lot, but thank I, you, Emily. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. It's been a pleasure, and we'll make sure we do this again sometime, Thomas. So thanks again. Well, yes, I, I uh, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Level with Emily. You can learn more about Thomas, see a playlist, and support Level with Emily at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of our chat with Thomas Brunet on the Level with Emily YouTube channel. Please subscribe, get notifications, all those things, so you don't miss any of our new interviews. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.